0: As you turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalm chapter number nine, give a little bit of explanation for kind of a background for the message here this morning. I've been noticing here, um, I think maybe during COVID, I think a lot of us, especially months ago, we tended to spend more time at home and less time out there in restaurants and public places and so forth. And uh, as things have started loosening up, I find myself more and more being out among the public, and uh, just noticing that it seems like things have even more drastically changed uh, in our culture and our society here of late. Now, nothing uh, is just shocking and brand new, but I I kind of find myself being like the Apostle Paul, if you will recall, when he was uh, there on Mars Hill and he saw the city totally given to idolatry. And, and it, you can tell in the narrative there in the book of Acts that it provoked Paul's spirit and he began to basically preach to a bunch of judges. I mean, that would be like being before the Supreme Court of the United States and being able to just impromptu, not scheduled, but just be standing before them and just open up the Word of God and start preaching to those Supreme Court judges. Wouldn't that be an honor and a privilege? And yet I wonder how many preachers in America today would totally flub that opportunity and end up playing politician rather than being the man of God. Paul certainly wasn't that way, but anybody that's a man of God living in the type of world that we live in today is going to find that at times their spirit gets very much provoked. Not necessarily provoked to anger, but certainly provoked to a righteous indignation. And I'll just let you know beforehand that while this message is basically the product of a preacher with a provoked spirit, it is my goal, it is my hope here this morning that I won't preach this message with a provoked spirit. And so having said that, I draw your attention to Psalm uh, chapter number 9 and verse number 15. The Bible says the heathen are sunk down in the pit that they have made. In the net which they hid is their own foot taken. And let me say this, that the heathen can live their lifestyle... The way that the world is basically living and we look at that sometimes and we think they seem just fine. They, they, they don't seem to have a whole lot of, they don't seem to have any more trouble than God's people in their life. In fact, in some cases you compare the two and you think God's people have more trouble in their life than the heathen do. And yet David the psalmist knew that their time is coming and they're eventually they're going to get caught in the own net, the, their own web that they've been spending their lifetime weaving. Verse number 16, the Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. I'm going to read that again. That is important. The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. If you're like me, it very much seems like we are living in a time period in which God has went very silent. You know, back in Samuel's day, the Bible says that the word of the Lord was precious. There was no open vision. Now there was plenty of hypocrisy. There was plenty of apostasy. I mean, God's people and the world around them were basically living godless lives. They were kind of trying to balance this life between believing in God but doing whatever they wanted to do. Sound familiar? And 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 the word of the Lord, the open vision, the presence of God just basically kind of diminished in their culture. And it wasn't until God raised up Samuel, the man of God, that things began to start turning around. And you know, Samuel, the man of God, when he showed up, people knew there was a man of God. Elijah certainly was like that. Elisha was like that. And you know what? And one of the brethren said last night in men's prayer meeting, he requested a very good request. He said, I'm praying that God would raise up a man that would make a difference. And I have to say amen to that brother. Amen. We need God to raise up a man that would make a difference in this nation. You know what's happened in the past? You know, when, when men like Billy Sunday showed up, and started having the, the tent meetings, and they called it the Sawdust Trail." America was in a state of wickedness when Billy Sunday showed up, and he started traveling around, a lot like Mordecai Ham, a lot like DL Moody, a lot like some great men of God. and they would start traveling around, and when they would come into an area and start preaching the word of God, things began to happen. Things began to change. Hearts would be touched. Sinners would be convicted. People would get converted to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that conversion would change the way that they thought and the way that they lived. And that is certainly what's needed in America. Oh, that God would raise up a man or two that would have that kind of influence and have that kind of power. As I was praying after that request, I said, God, I don't know that I want to, I I don't know that I'll ever be that man, but God, would you please let me make a difference in the realm that you have put me in? You know, if God would just allow me to make a difference in your lives, make a difference on the radio here in Statesville, maybe challenge a fellow preacher to stay true to the word of God. Listen, I don't care if we ever know about it. We're not looking for glory or a movement or any spotlight, but you know when I stand before the Lord someday, I would, I would so much rather be pleasantly surprised that God blessed my ministry in a way that I had no clue that He was blessing than to think that God was blessing and to stand before Him and find out that it was just wood, hay, and stubble. I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, I'm interested in the real deal here today. I'm not interested in a movement or emotions or excitement. I'm interested in substance. And so it appears the Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. And we scratch our head and thinking, where is God's judgment? And which way is God executing judgment? There has never been a time in America, and I I am certain that I am 100% accurate in this statement, there has never been a time in which our nation has been more wicked than it is today. And yet in times past, God executed judgment upon this nation and would turn our hearts back to Him. You know, it was extremely short-lived, but I remember 9-11. I know many of you remember when those Twin Towers were bombed, and for the first time since World War II, Americans actually just felt a hint of vulnerability. And what happened? They began to flock to the churches, and they began to have prayer vigils, and even celebrities, even the heathen were believing in prayer for three and a half hours, (laughs) a little longer than that, maybe three and a half days, but it didn't last very long. But at least that was the initial reaction to crisis. Last year, COVID hit. In what way has it turned us closer to God as a nation? I would have to say in no way. At least as a nation. Now, maybe personally, I mean, there are some good things that have come out of this past year also some very bad things. But you know what? I I don't see God executing the judgment that this book right here says that we are deserving of. Then he said, the wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Hegeon selah. I'm not going to take time to explain what those mean. I don't know that anybody fully, completely knows what all those mean. I've read commentaries and everybody has just a little bit different thing to say about it. Verse 17, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. That's the verse from which I take my text here today. This is not a patriotic get right with God America message. Uh, This is simply a message that applies to all of us and I couldn't find a better text that says it then Psalm 9 and verse number 17. What I'd like to preach on this morning is the forgotten judgment of God. Father, it's good to be in church. It's so good to see all the people that have gathered here today. We thank you for them and we pray a special blessing upon each and every listener today. May our hearts and minds be clear. May our attention be arrested Uh, here by the Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you'd help me to do a good job bringing, uh, these important truths and points here today. We pray if anyone here under the sound of our voice is without Jesus Christ and is not certain that they have a home in heaven and that their sins have been forgiven, we pray that the Holy Spirit would get a hold of that heart and draw them and lead them to a personal Uh, relationship with Jesus Christ. And God, we pray that you'd help your people to realize, God, that we need to remember uh, some things. And God, help us now have your will and way, get glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. And so I, I think that it's safe to say, without any fear of contradiction, that America is no longer one nation under God may say on our currency, we may say it in the Pledge of Allegiance, which, by the way, some people have argued over whether we should even say one nation under God when we recite the Pledge of Allegiance. Uh, Dwight Eisenhower signed the bill into law on Flag Day, June Fourteenth, 1954, that it would be included in the Pledge of Allegiance that we say one nation under God. From this day forward, Eisenhower said the millions of our school children will daily proclaim in every city and town, every village and rural schoolhouse, the dedication of our nation and our people to the Almighty. In this way, we are reaffirming the transcendence of religious faith in American heritage and future. In this way, we shall constantly strengthen those spiritual weapons which forever will be our country's most powerful resource in peace or in war. Eisenhower witnessed firsthand the power of the United States of America when we joined into World War II and made a difference on a global scale. He witnessed all of the war machines from both the Nazis as well as the British and then, of course, America. And you know what? You talk about technology and weaponry beginning to advance, I mean, rapidly during the World War II era. I mean, they say necessity is the mother of invention, And this whole world was feeling the necessity that we have better come up with bigger and better weapons. If not, we're going to all be wearing swastikas on our arm within months. And so by the grace of God and the help of the Almighty, and I know Eisenhower, he saw it and he recognized the providence of God in World War II. And I believe that it was the providence of God. I think that we would cringe, we would we would be in shock if we recognized and really saw how close this entire world was in uh, to losing World War II. I mean, it was all but lost. And you know what I believe personally? I believe that Hitler went so far in persecuting God's people, the Jew that God caused him... I think that God just took his mind away from him and they started making some really, really arrogant, stupid decisions and from that point, they began to lose the war. But it was not that the world and the allies had more powerful forces. I mean, uh, Germany was doing a mighty good job until, I believe, the sovereignty, the providence of God made a difference Eisenhower recognized that. And I certainly appreciate what he said about the addition of one nation under God. But as we look around us, it is clear that we are no longer a Christian nation. It hasn't been many years ago that I would preach this same principle and I'd say we are losing it. But I have to say, as we look around, it is all but lost. We are heathen. We are pagan. We are hedonistic. Folks, we, and I say America as a whole, have forgotten God. When I use the term heathen, the term heathen means lacking in morals, ethics, and principles. As I look at our culture today, we are certainly heathenistic in that we have lost our morals, ethics. You know, you cannot find truth anywhere as far as the media. You, you don't find a whole lot of truth. You're not going to find it with any news media. doesn't matter which side of the equation, liberal or conservative, it's all twisted because people don't really value that, hey, I don't care whether this fits my agenda or accomplishes what I wanted to accomplish, I'm just going to tell the truth and let the chips fall where they may. When's the last time you heard anybody just say, "I'm going to tell you the truth and let the chips fall? It just seems to be completely lost in our culture. Heathenism, lacking in decency. Have you ever seen so much nakedness, revelry and drunkenness as we see in our culture today? You say, preacher, you're talking about just some isolated pockets throughout the country. No, I'm not. I'm talking about just several days ago, sitting in a restaurant nearby and looking around and seeing nothing but heathenism. I'm not kidding you, folks. I looked at our table, and I looked around, and every single table that I could see, I saw immodesty, immodesty. And I saw everybody with alcohol on their table. That's this area. This area that professes to be about 80% Christian. I submit to you here this morning, it's not Christian, it's heathenism. Pagan. Pagan is this attachment to nature and the natural cycle of life you know, you don't have to be a Wiccan or a New Ager to be a pagan. More people today are more in touch with just the natural environment around us and the cycle of life. We come into this world, we eat, and we drink, and we be merry, we procreate. And and you know what? Even procreation is something that the pagans are not even... It's almost like procreation is a negative thing in today's culture. My Bible says that children are an heritage of the Lord. They're a blessing. They're not a burden. They're not a choice. They're a life. They're a soul. They need to be nurtured and protected. Hedonistic. The word hedonistic means that lovers of pleasures... And of course, and I'm going to skip for sake of time, but 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. You can read it on your own time. Most of you are familiar with it. This know also that in the last day perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. And then ultimately in verse number 5 it says, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And so, yes, America is no longer one nation under God, but I'm not specifically preaching to America today, I am speaking to America, I'm speaking to people, you, here this morning, because I wonder how much God's people have been more a part of the problem than we've been part of the cure. Do you know that Jesus said, if the salt loses its savor, it's good for nothing, but to be trampled under the foot of men? Hey, I don't want to be a good for nothing Christian, do you? I want to be salt and light to the world around me. And so number one here this morning, God will not be heeded if he is not feared. Exodus 9 verse number 30, but as for thee and thy servants, I know that ye will not yet fear the Lord. This is Moses talking to Pharaoh. Pharaoh has seen the judgment of God. But listen, you can see the miraculous judgment of God, but until a man or a woman, until a person fears him, he will not heed him. The fear of the Lord, as you take your Bibles and turn to Romans 3, the fear of the Lord has to be taught. Do you know that the fear of the Lord is not something that just naturally occurs in anyone? I think it might have been last week or within the last two weeks, certainly recently, I was talking about how that God blessed me with parents. I had a, I was, uh, had the privilege of growing up in a home where I was taught that Jesus Christ was God and that He was the Savior of the world. I'm glad that I grew up in a home that had the Christian religion. And you know, I got to thinking when I was younger, especially in my teenage years, I believed that. I I was very passionate in believing that Jesus was the Savior. I believed in Him. I believed that the Bible was the Word of God. But in all honesty, I hadn't really firsthand experienced or seen the power of this book working in my life. And so, yeah, I'd have to admit that probably in those early days in my life, I was just believing it because that's what I was taught in the home that I grew up in. And you know what? That element is true all over this world. There are people that grow up in a Buddhist home and they grow up to be Buddhist. There are people who grow up in a Muslim home. They grow up to be Muslims. And so the whole world looks at this and says, well, you know, you can't help what you believe because that's just what you grew up in. But you know what? I can say in all honesty that I'm thankful that I grew up in a home where I was told the truth. But because it's true... I can look back and I can see time and time and time again where God confirmed the truth of his word. I've seen it where this Bible says something so, and I look at it and I'm not sure, I'm, you know, I'm not sure about that. I am not seeing that. I'm not feeling that. And yet eventually, if I'll believe it because it's the word of God, I have seen God time and time again show how that this Bible is true. You cannot say that about any other book or about any other religion. This is a powerful book. It's a powerful gospel. I mean, nothing, nothing is more powerful than the gospel of Jesus Christ. People convert from one religion to another every day. And it may change where they attend a church service. It may change uh, you know, some of their views or change a little bit of their lifestyle. But nothing revolutionizes the heart of man like the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fear of the Lord must be taught. Naturally, we do not fear the Lord. Look at Romans 3, verse number 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace, have they not known, verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. You know what God just described to us? The natural state of every human being. That's us naturally without the influence of the truth of God's word. Psalm 34, verse number 11, the psalmist said, Come ye children... Hearken unto me, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Thank God for parents that taught me the fear of the Lord. I mentioned last week where my mom said, Son, God's trying to get your attention. And I bowed my head, I said, Mom, I know it. I mean, I had a mom, I had a parent that was confirming what the Bible says and what the Spirit of God was already speaking to my heart. You know, the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every thought be established. Thank God we've got the witness of the Spirit, we've got the witness of the Word, and then we've got the witness of other believers, the preacher, the parent, and so forth. Speaking of parenting, parents are supposed to instill in their children a healthy fear of God. I'm not talking about a hiding-in-the-corner insecurity and anxiety. Oh, God's going to get... I'm not talking about something that is unnatural and unhealthy. I'm talking about a healthy fear of God. The first place that it's to be taught is by the parents. The modern view of parenting and authority is that of a soccer mom. Even in churches, folks, Parents today are scared to death that somebody's going to accuse them of being mean. And so parents, instead of being kind, they are pressured by our culture into being nice. Let me tell you something. An authority figure is not supposed to be nice. He's supposed to be kind or she's supposed to be kind and righteous, but supposed to be right as well. Authority is authority. I appreciate we were in a home not too long ago and there was uh, one of our mothers here and their children were in the home and were visiting with uh, some other members of the family. And my wife made a statement, your kids are in the other room and they're being so good. And the Christian mother said, yeah, they better be. And you know what I said? Yes, right on, sister, preach it. That's good parenting. Parenting. Put the fear of God in them. Let them know that, hey, if I don't sit here and be quiet and obey, then I'm going to have some trouble. You say, well, that's being mean. No, it's demonstrating to them that God is a God of authority, and when we disobey Him, we're going to get in trouble. I wonder how many people today... God is, I mean, God is working in their life and they don't even recognize it. You know, the average believer today, and I use that term very loosely, when God executes some type of a judgment in their life, rather than saying, God, I'm sorry, I knew, I know I shouldn't have done that. I was bad. I was wrong. No, the average believer today gets mad at God and said, okay, God, I'm not going to believe in you anymore. And and I've said it before, that's the equivalent of the child saying, I'm gonna hold my breath till I pass out. Oh, that really hurts me. I really, I mean I I I never remember even thinking about pulling that one on my mother. (laughs) Here's some duct tape, it'll help. But, but there's a problem. Parents are supposed to be instilling the fear of the Lord. It's got to be taught. How about pulpits in America? The pulpits of America have softened and scrubbed up God to the point that people who live godless lives are just absolutely sure that God is passionately in love with them. It's crazy. I mean, people live worldly and wicked. You got people that go to church faithfully, singing the choir, and they're shacking up. Oh, did I say that was a negative term? I'm sorry. They were cohabiting, cohabitating. They were, they're shacking up. They're living together and they're not married. They're having relations with one another. Not under the sanctity of marriage, which Hebrews 13 says marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. Listen, if you are shacking up with someone that you're not married to and you're cohabitating, your bed is defiled. It's filthy. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Well, I'm getting away with it. Nothing's happening. We'll see about that. You know, as they say, and this is no laughing matter, this is a serious matter, but he who laughs, last laughs best. You know, people are going to find out, oh, that preacher, he's just up there blowing steam. He's trying to scare me into doing and living the way that he thinks that I ought to live. No, siree, the preacher's just telling you the truth because he loves you and does not want to see you have the judgment of God upon your life. I mean, because of the pulpits in America, the average person thinks, if I love myself this much, how could anyone not love me? And so they just attribute that God must love me so much because I love me this much. And it's lies, folks. It is deception. And it has caused a generation of people in America to not even have an inkling of understanding as to what the fear of God is all about. I remember back in the 80s and 90s, and yeah, I go to uh, Hebrews 12, end of the chapter, it says, let us serve God with reverential... Let's let us... Uh, um, just turn there, alright, Hebrews I had it in my head and I lost it here. Hebrews chapter number 12, verse number 28. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. During the 80s. Every preacher on the radio, national preacher, is like, we're not supposed to be scared of God. We're just supposed to have a holy reverence for him. Uh, What about verse 29? For our God is a consuming fire. You know what the writer of Hebrews is saying? We better fear God because he's a consuming fire. You say, well, I don't see any fire. Yeah, well, you know what? It's just a matter of time until the coals and embers that the immorality of our nation is going to Fan those embers, and the wildfire is going to break out in this nation. The parents, the pulpits, the politicians—you know there there are so few politicians today that you would say that you can learn the fear of God from them. Listen, I, and I know I don't want to stir up any controversy, but I, I just think it's so appropriate to say. I, I look back at our previous president, and, and I appreciate his gesture on June 1st, 2020. As he stood in front of St. John's Episcopal Church purposefully, he went out there for this cause to stand there for a photo op And in front of that church, hold up a copy of the Bible. I I appreciate that. Uh, I'd like to see more of that. In fact, the backlash that he received is proof of the hatred of this book right here. And yet, much of the problem there is, here's a man that, Yeah, this book right here has influenced his policies, influenced a lot in his life, but by his own admission, he doesn't regularly read it. How different would things be today if he would just have spent more time in the book that he was holding up. If it would have been more than a photo op. And it would have been. This is the word of God. And I believe it. We wouldn't have had a president that. Does the right thing and stands with Israel. Because of what the Bible says. And during. Later in the day dropping. Certain choice. Words that start with certain letters. That it's just like, and, and by the way, why is it, and any of you that look at the news articles, the, whether it's Fox or CNN, what is it about even conservative Christian leaders today that they think that they have to drop words that start with F and different other words in order to make their point? drives me crazy, it sickens me. It's like, look, you're, you're on the right side, but you're discrediting the side that you're representing. How can you say, hey, we believe in God, and then drop that filthy, vile language from your mouth? You know what the problem is? Is, yeah, we still have some politicians that, hey, they still have some biblical values, but they need to get the fear of God back in their lives. We need to be able to look up to our leaders and say, you know what? That's an example to follow of somebody that fears the almighty. You wouldn't be telling lies, distorting the truth. You wouldn't be playing manipulation games. You wouldn't be uh being immoral and uh um What's the word? You wouldn't be... um I mean, how many politicians end up with affairs and indecency with some of their staff members and people who work on their campaign and just vile stuff? If they feared God, you wouldn't have all of that nonsense. So what's the GPS navigation to God? Well... I mean, if you've ever GPS Googled a direction, you know that it will give you, usually it'll tell you the very next move to make. I I always have a problem with that. I want to know the next move and then I want to know the move after that. And so, you know, sometimes I'll I'll say to my wife, okay, I I know I'm going to be turning right up here. What's my next move after that? And, you know, the, 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 the lady in the box, I don't always trust what she's saying. Do you? But but more often than not nowadays it's certainly better than it used to be i mean when when the the little uh road navigators what's the word what are they called uh not with your phone but g p s the Well, they first came out. I mean, if you didn't have internet access and you didn't download the updates or whatever, you had no idea where they were going to send you to. I mean, it's like, we're going to Charlotte. It's like, all right, we're, we're going through Winston to get to Charlotte. <laughs> nowadays they're pretty good. I mean, they can even update you with traffic jams and divert you around. So they're better than they used to be, but usually they'll give you a list. Along with a map. And if we are, had a list to navigate us to God, it starts with number one, fear Him. It starts, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It all starts with the fear of God. And now if you're, if you're sitting here this morning, it's like, oh, another one of those negative sermons. Judgment, judgment, judgment. America is going to hell and all of that. If you're burdened by that, um you're probably part of the problem because a person that fears god is going to recognize that we're not living in a culture that fears god and you know what at some point more than just me here this morning ought to have a little bit of a provoked spirit if your spirit is not provoked i'm not talking about uh, whining and complaining and murmuring i'm talking about literally having a burden and seeing our whole country going to hell, then you need to check your heart, and you need to start getting passionate about the right things. Fear Him, which leads to number two, listen to Him. Start finding out, what do I need to know? And then number three, obey Him. Respond. Do what the Word of God says that we're supposed to do. Psalm 55 verse 19, God shall hear and afflict them, even he that abideth of old, Selah, because they have no changes, therefore they fear not God. They have no changes. You know what America needs today? We need to change. You know what needs to change in America today? The parenting. You know what else needs to change? The pulpits. And certainly the politicians. If we don't change and we don't get the fear of God back in our lives and in our churches and in our home, in our community, if we don't somehow find the fear of God again, we are going to continue down the path that we are heading and it is going to get ugly, folks. We better pray that we will start fearing Him once again. My second and last point here this morning, besides my conclusion, is number two, the destination of judgment is at the end of the highway of forgetfulness. Our opening text said, the wicked shall be turned into hell. That's the judgment of God and all nations that forget God. The problem is forgetfulness. You know, one of the main responsibilities of the man of God is to put you in remembrance. That's my job, is to put you in remembrance. You know, it's not all about hearing or telling something new. Most of the life of a believer is about being reminded of the things that we've already heard and known. We tend to remember the things we should forget, our past failures and guilt and sins, the ones that we've confessed and forsaken. We have a tendency to remember all of those, but our tendency is to forget the things that we should remember. You know, a real short verse that Jesus gave us in Luke 17, verse number 32, he said, remember Lot's wife. If you read that text there, it's like Jesus just says that completely out of the blue. Remember Lot's wife. He's talking about the tribulation period and how you better flee and run to the mountain. Remember Lot's wife. What can you remember about Lot's wife? Well, I remember she was turned into a pillar of salt. I've never been turned into a pillar of salt before, have you? I have never seen a human being turned into a pillar of salt. But it doesn't sound like a good thing, now does it? So the issue with Lot's wife is not what she was turned into, but why she was turned into a pillar. You know, a pillar stays right there and doesn't move. And if you think about it, here the angels show up at Sodom and Gomorrah, a city that is totally wicked and corrupt, much like America has become. Yes, there are still a few righteous in our nation, certainly enough praise the Lord, that God hasn't seen fit to judge us. The angels are trying to get Lot and his family out. Lot's trying to get his family out. They're mocking. Oh, you don't even know what you're talking about, Dad. Oh, (laughs) father-in-law. What do you, where'd you get that from? We don't see anything wrong. Listen, we're not Participating. We're not we're not homosexuals. We're not violent. But you know, let them live their life. That's between them and their God. It's kind of this just, well, we're not like them, but we're putting up with them. Sound familiar? And so when the angels show up and say, get out, because God's gonna rain down fire and brimstone, and they're just like they're laughing, they're mocking. Just like America is doing today when the man of God stands up and says, God's going to judge America. We'll see, whatever. That's probably what they're whatever. Well, that's your truth. I have my truth. That doesn't make sense at all. But the angels have grabbed Lot by the hand. Lot's got his two daughters and his wife. And literally, uh, the angels are having to drag them out of Sodom. And Lot's wife stopped and she looked back. You know what the problem was, is why she's looking back. She's looking back because she was not in favor of God destroying Sodom and Gomorrah, because that's what was in her heart. Jesus is saying to all of us, remember Lot's wife, Sodom, listen, Lot's soul was vexed by their unlawful deeds. Mrs. Lot was more than just vexed. Her heart was in Sodom and Gomorrah. She loved it. And she looked back. We need to remember Lot's wife. Turn with me to the book of Jude. You know it's interesting. And, and and I don't know why I've missed this before. I'm sure that some of you preachers or Bible students, maybe you've this has dawned on you a long time ago, but I, I've always looked at the book of Jude. It's the second of the last book of the Bible. It's right before Revelation. And, you know, you talk about, you think that my sermon here today is negative and critical and judgmental. Just read the book of Jude. We don't know much about Jude and his ministry, but, you know, you read this short little one chapter book, and it's like, I guarantee you, if Jude showed up and preached in this pulpit, most of you probably wouldn't put up with him. Verse number 5, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believe not. What about that? What about all the people that God's delivered? Oh, I'm saved, preacher. I'm saved. Well, if you're living there in the world and like the world, There's still some judgment coming for your unbelief. And by the way, wrong behavior is the result of a wrong belief. All of our failures ultimately are faith failures. We either believe the book or we ignore the book. God's people need to remember rather than be dismayed. Look at verse 15. To execute judgment Upon all, and to convince all that are ungodly among them, of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, uh, um, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts. Their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons. In admiration because of advantage. You know, that's probably half the reason that the pulpits won't tell it like it is. There's probably pulpits in America filled with men who down deep probably would say amen to everything that I'm preaching here this morning. But they're just not going to do it themselves. Mm -mm. I might lose some tithing members. I might split my church. You know what, I, I, I can't think of anything more heartbreaking to a pastor than a church split. Or people leaving. I mean, a, a pastor loves his flock. He loves the entire flock. Not just the people that are faithful and helpers and servants, but a, a pastor loves everybody. You know, the ones that are there that are a pain, it, it, that's part of his heart. It's like, hey, maybe I can help them along the way. And so, yeah, every person in a pastor's ministry has a special place in their heart. They're either a project or they're somebody that they're yoking up with that's helping them plow the field. And so you got all these different types of people and nothing can be worse than losing people. But listen, if the truth causes anyone to leave the flock, then... Why should a pastor, a shepherd, start compromising the truth? We might as well just go to the house and quit playing games with this. Amen? I, if somebody leaves because of the truth... Now listen, I, 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 have, I have hurt people with my presentation before. I've said some things that maybe in sarcasm or in jest, you're looking at somebody that um, sometimes my spirit gets provoked and I get a little bit ahead of myself. And I say something that, you know, one person over here, it's like, yeah, tell it like it is, preacher, somebody over here. I'm just, I'm, I'm shredding them. I don't ever want my personality or my presentation to cause anybody harm or hurt. I've had times where I've apologized for that. But if it's the truth, if I preach against your sin, and you leave and you're mad, then you know what? Hit the road. Because by the grace of God, we're not changing. By the grace of God, and I emphasize that. Verse 17, but beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. God's people need to remember rather than be dismayed. Oh, I'm in such shock. How can things be the way that they are? Well, because we were told that they would be Folks, don't wait until it's too late to remember. Don't wait till it's too late to remember. In Luke 16, verse number 25, Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things. You know, Abraham had to remind the rich man in hell look, you need to remember. You had it made on earth, but you rejected God. Lazarus was suffering. He had nothing. He was sick. He was hungry. He was in rags, but he had God in his life. And now he's comforted for all of eternity, but you're tormented for all of eternity. Who's the wise man and who's the fool in that story? We need to... We need to remember before it's too late. And so in conclusion, I remind all of us here this morning that judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. The saved who are living for God are looking forward to the return of Christ. The first part of his coming is called the rapture. It's going to get us out of here, folks. Do, 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 do. I don't think the trumpets going to sound like that. But you get the picture. The trumpets going to sound, boom, we're out of here. Problem solved. I mean, I I've got some aches and pains. I've got some stuff that I struggle with that it's over. This world that I'm that I'm complaining about here today, America, <laughs> how it's going in the toilet. Not my problem anymore. I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord and I'm going to meet mom and dad in the air and grandma and some of our loved ones that have gone on before, Brother Wilson and Brother Pennell, and we're going to meet the Lord in the air. That's going to be a great thing, but that's just part A of the return of Christ. Part B, the second part, is when he literally sets foot on planet Earth, on the Mount of Olives. And it's going to be so powerful that that Mount of Olives is going to split. It's going to start cracking from where his foot Uh, touches the ground, and this big crack is going to start forming. All of a sudden, the Mount of Olives is going to split from, separate from one side to the other, make a big valley. Jesus is going to see that eastern gate of the temple. He's going to walk right. Listen, those Muslims put graves there to try to keep him from walking across there. (laughs) He's not going to care. They're superstitious. He's not. He's going into the eastern gate, and he's going to sit down on the throne of his father David. And according to Revelation 19, verse 11 through 16, he's going to rule and reign with a rod of iron. He's coming back in the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Judgment's coming. Bible talks about the blood being up to the horse's bridles. You say this just that just doesn't seem very Christ like of him. Well you're listening to the wrong preacher. You're reading the wrong book. The scrubbed up, softened God doesn't exist. The God of the Bible does. The Jesus of the Bible exists and He's coming back. I saw a bumper sticker one time says Jesus is coming back, and boy is he mad. A little bit rough terminology, but still very, very true. The ultimate judgment of God. Look with me, uh, Revelation 20. Revelation 20. And verse number 13, it says that the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is a literal place. Hell right now is in the heart of the earth. I'll admit, I don't know exactly where the lake of fire is, but death and hell, everybody that has died without Christ in their life, all of the Old Testament saints that were righteous, when Jesus resurrected, He took them to heaven with Him. Hell and paradise was in the heart of the earth. Paradise is now in the third heaven. Paul made that clear. Hell Everyone, the rich man that Jesus told about, not a parable, not a hypothetical story, but a literal person, he's been in hell lifting up his eyes in torments ever since he died, ever since he left, his soul left his body, he went to hell and he's still in torments today. The only break that he's going to get from that torment is when he stands before God Almighty at this great white throne of judgment. He stands there on that sea of glass. The Bible says the sides of the north are frozen. Maybe he's going to get a temporary relief from the pain and the suffering and the burning of hell. But I promise you that the eyes of a judging God at the great white throne of judgment are going to be more piercing. They're going to be hotter than the flames of hell as He stands there naked before the Creator of this universe and gives an account, and God says, Depart from Me, ye that work iniquity. Verse 15, Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Literal place, literal torment, literal darkness, literal despair, literal eternity. I don't... I don't care what some of the other preachers on our radio station have to say about it. Whether they go to church on Saturday or Sunday, I don't care. They can say what they want. They can explain it away by twisting the Word of God, but the Word of God is clear and plain that the smoke of their torment ascendeth up day and night forever and ever. I don't like that, do you? I can't fathom that, can you? But the book says it, so it must be true. We need to wake up. We need to recognize. We need to remember the forgotten judgment of God. Joshua 24, verse number 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood, and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Listen, America. Listen, Temple Baptist Church. Listen, anyone who hears this message on the radio or on the internet, listen, you can do whatever you want to do. You can be a heathen. You can be a pagan. You can live a hedonistic lifestyle for pleasure, not in the fear of God. Help yourself. But judgment is coming. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. May our tribe increase. We need more and more people that will choose and learn the fear of God and remember that there is a judgment that is coming. We better get ready. Let's bow our heads and go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your help here this morning. Certainly not a pleasant message, but Lord, I make no apology. Lord, it's a it's a true message and it's a needed message. I would to God that more of the pulpits of America would be filled with this message of remembering the judgment of God. What a difference it would make in the world we live if young people would start learning the fear of God. Lord, I pray for your mercy and your grace upon us all. God, help us. Our soul is more and more vexed from the filthy conversation around us. Lord, as we are more and more living in the midst of Sodom and Gomorrah, God, help us to come out from among them and be separate. Help us to live in the fear of God. And I pray, Father, that the fear of God would sweep over this land and bring conviction. Lord, that people might be converted to Jesus Christ. God, we need repentance in a major way. Lord, (laughs) I pray, God, that you would do the same thing in our nation that you did in Nineveh. Lord, when Jonah just preached a simple message, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Lord, I I certainly wouldn't pretend to know the day or the amount of time before your judgment is coming, but God, we know it is. I pray that we wouldn't be concerned about the time we would just believe it to be so and... Choose to serve you and choose to fear you just like Joshua did. Have your will and way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Remain seated, heads bowed and eyes closed. God spoke to your heart. You'd like to come down to the altar. Maybe you've got some things in your life you need to get right with God. Listen, judgment's coming. Get it right today. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never been saved. Or maybe you're not sure if you've ever been saved. You know, you can be sure before you leave this place today. It's not that difficult. You provide the sinner. God provided the Savior. Just have to believe and receive. Maybe you need to come to the altar and pray for a family member or our nation that is under the judgment of God and pray that God would raise up some men and families and churches that would make a difference